0: to take this heart
1: Well, Good morning. Uh, just one of the lyrics of that song, though the ground beneath might crumble and give way. That had new no meaning this morning, didn't it? <laughs> Any of you, how many of you felt the earthquake this morning? Yeah. That was a unique experience uh, that we survived. We survived another 2020. Add that to the list. just been a crazy year. And I tell you, the more and more things that happen, the more and more it reminds me. Um, God's coming soon. Jesus is returning. Um, all the things we see should not catch us by surprise. If you believe scripture, if you know scripture, None of this is catching us off guard. We know things are going to change, and some of this stuff specifically will happen. So, our hope is in Christ. Our joy is in Christ. Our reason for being here is because we have a Savior who lives, and He is worthy of worship. So, thank you for joining us this morning. For those of you that are in the parking lot listening to my voice, we're glad to have you. For those of you that are watching online, it's good to have you and welcome. But um, as we begin our service, just a couple quick announcements. Um, First of all, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest, we would encourage you before you leave, as you go down the hallway and to your left, we have a guest table set up. We have some visitor bags there. We would encourage you to take a minute and fill out a guest card, and you can uh, leave it with one of our hospitality team members if they're able to be there. If not, just leave it there on the table. We will get that after the service. Also, for those of you that are taking Class 101, I'm sure Jamie will give you more details as he gets up, but we will be having that right after the service, so we encourage you to stay for that. And then finally, as you walked in, I don't know... if Any of you saw this, but there's green sheets of paper out there. This is a copy of our proposed 2020-2021 budget. Um, We'll call this the COVID-19 budget. There has been uh, some adjustments, but for the next two Wednesday nights, uh, budget and finance, someone from that committee will be available in the conference room from 6 to 7 this coming Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night. That is for you to ask any questions that you may have concerning the budget or if you would just like to contact the church office, We'd be more than happy to answer any questions that you have. We'll be voting at the end of the month for this coming year's budget. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to please stand, take a minute as we do each week now, not shake a hand, but hug, don't hug a neck unless you know them. But wave at somebody. You can pat them on the back, I guess, give them an elbow. But welcome one another to the service.
2: Amen. He did give his life at the cross. Aren't you glad that we're free? Uh, I want to uh, remind us to pray this morning uh, for Leroy Lackey's family. His services was yesterday, and uh, pray for Evelyn, the, the family, the kids, and let's lift them up in prayer this week. Uh, I want a, a quick announcement, real quick. We're doing the kids' corner. It's in your bulletin. If you have kids K through five, they can pick up a sheet of paper before they come in. Uh, the sermon uh, passage is on there, they, you, they can read that, you can read that, and then there's stuff for the kids to do while they're in here, but let me encourage you to be a part of that. We want to help your kids to be more grounded in the scriptures, so if you, if, they, if you would do that, that would help them to learn more about the Bible and things of the Lord. Again, thank you for being here this morning. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. As I was getting ready this morning, the house began to shake. And I thought of some of the end scriptures about the Lord's coming. Actually, it's about the sermon today. You know, the Bible says this in, in Romans 8 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The whole earth shakes for the coming of the Lord. And, and we, as God's people, should be looking up for our redemption draws near. We should be ready. You know, the Lord could come any moment. Wouldn't that be great? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you remind us when the earth shakes that you're in control. Lord, that when we're living through a pandemic, you're in control. And Father, we thank you so much that you're in control of all things. And we don't need to fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind and father this morning may we groan god may we ache to see you one day may we pray for our nation lord i pray you bring a renewal revival to your church in these last days father we want to thank you for loving us this morning thank you for the encouragement that's in your word that father that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and nothing can separate us from your love this morning and Father, this morning we pray for the Lackey family Lord, there's nothing that can separate us from one another if we know you, and Father we pray for comfort for them and strength for the days to come, Lord thank you for this time to worship and be before you and Lord, to love you thank you for loving us this morning thank you for giving us hope, eternal life Jesus we love you this morning thank you for giving your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners you died for us Father we love you in Jesus name, amen, you may be seated
3: Thank you, Praise Team. As uh, as they're going down, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And I just want to make a quick announcement. Uh, Kevin mentioned Class 101. Uh, this will probably be the only Class 101 that we have this year in 2020. So if you're interested in church membership, it is a requirement. And whether you signed up or not, you can stay. And after the service, I'm going to ask several of the men, if you will, if you'll meet uh, Mark and Kevin over here. Uh, to my left, we need to put out about probably five round tables. So if you could help us do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, stand with me. We're going to look at verses 18 through 23. We've been going through uh, Romans chapter 8 for about, I don't know, six weeks. It's been called the greatest chapter in the Bible. And today we're going to talk about the hope of creation. Okay, notice what verse 18 says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Notice the word glory. This is what this is talking about, glorification. Peter mentions it in, in his epistle when he talks about our great salvation. He talks about election, sanctification, redemption. He talks about glorification. This is a theological term. This is something that's going to happen after we die and Jesus comes back. He says, we can, that, these present sufferings cannot compare with the glory which shall be revealed. For the earnest expectation of the creation... Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Right here, Paul says this. This earth is on its tiptoes waiting for the... Look at the word revealing. That's where we get the word revelation, apocalypse, of the sons of God. Which means, what is that? The bride of Christ. Which means that the earth is waiting for the culmination of the end of time when Christ's bride will be revealed to live on this earth. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Then he goes on to say this. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly. Why? Because Adam sinned. God told Adam, because you sinned, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. You're probably going to hate it. Ladies, you're going to have travail and childbirth. We're going to have thorns and thistles, kudzu, briars, things like that, which wasn't part of God's creation. Do You think God would want kudzu? I don't think he would. Cabbage? I don't think he would. But anyway, he said that it was subjected. It didn't, it didn't ask for it. But God made it. God cursed the earth. But because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself. Also will be delivered. From the bondage of corruption. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He says this earth as beautiful as it is. Is cursed. It is not God's original design. And the earth even groans for redemption. For we know that the whole creation groans. And labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that. But we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the, the adoption, the re- redemption of our body. You know what he's saying? Your body is not fit for eternity. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> Aren't you thankful? And we're, so, we're, point number one is this there's going to be a new earth. Point number two is this we're going to have new bodies. But point number three is in verse 24, we still have the same hope. Aren't you thankful? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that this this earth, Lord, this, this time that we're living in, Lord, it is temporary and it cannot even compare to heaven, to glory, to the eternal state, Lord, that you promised us all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Father, we're so thankful. And Father, as you encourage the first century church because of all their sufferings, Lord, your people suffer today as well. And Lord, I'm so thankful this is as bad as it will ever get for us. Better days are ahead because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the hope that we have of a new heaven and a new earth. And Father, we just pray that you would be glorified today throughout this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Throughout this chapter, chapter 8, the apostle is comparing the present sufferings of the people of God with the glory that awaits hereafter. He says, you're suffering now, but glory is coming. And the, and the term glorification, here's a definition, is God's final removal of sin from the life of the saints, everyone who is saved, in the eternal state. It also means that you're going to have a glorified body, a glorified home, a glorified city, and a glorified earth. MacArthur put it this way, if you study the scripture, you'll find that there are five great themes in scripture. One is the character of God, two is sin, and disobedience and its consequence. Three is the righteous law of God, obedience and blessing. Four is the need for a Savior who came and provided salvation. But the fifth great theme of Scripture is a coming future kingdom for which all groan and the story would be utterly incomplete without that. That's what Paul's talking about. That is the great culmination. That is the great anticipation. That is the great fulfillment that God has laid out and the story is not complete unless we understand the great truths of eschatology. Now here Paul is looking at Creation. And he's painting a picture that any Jew would recognize and understand. He's talking about this present age and he's talking about another age to come, the glory age. Notice what Isaiah said 700 years before the birth of Christ. Notice verse 25 or chapter 25. He will swallow up death forever. And what, what Isaiah was saying, God was saying through Isaiah is this. There's coming a different time. There's coming a time of glorification. In that time, he'll swallow up death forever forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he'll take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Sounds like Revelation 21-4 to me. Where John says there'll be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. And then in Isaiah 65, talking about the Messiah. And what he's going to do in his coming kingdom. He says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. This earth, you'll not remember it in eternity. Because what's coming is so much better. Isaiah 65 sounds a lot like Revelation 21. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied about a new heaven and a new earth. So the first point is this, a new earth. When you think about it, this earth as we know it is cursed. Isaiah 24.6, Isaiah puts it this way. Therefore a curse devours the earth and those who live in it are held guilty. The Lord lays the earth to waste. He devastates it. He distorts its surface. He scatters its inhabitants. The inhabitants of the earth are burned or cursed. Jeremiah said this about the curse that is on this planet in chapter 12. He said, How long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither for the wickedness of those who dwell in it? See, the curse is on the earth, and it's a punishment. It's God's punishment. Stephen Davies said, Nature's destiny is inseparably linked with man's because man sinned and fell into a cursed condition so did man's domain it is now this whole earth in bondage of corruption like verse 21 says so the earth is groaning for redemption just like you groan to go to heaven at times notice what John said in Revelation 21 1 about a new heaven and a new earth notice what he says and now I saw notice the word I saw if you remember when we studied Revelation that means something new is happening chapter 5 he says I saw something happened in chronological order Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20. And then here in chapter 21, John said there's something new about to happen. Something new. Then I saw a new heaven talking about the universe and a new earth. Recreated. Just when God says you're saved, you're a new creation. Same word for new there. He says for the first, now notice what he says, the first earth and the first heaven has passed away. It is passed away. It is, it is gone forever. In other words, what John is saying is there are not millions or billions of years elapsing in order for John to finally see a completed new universe. It's just like Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it like that. To deny that is to deny Revelation 21. One uh, Christian scientist said God did not need billions of years to allow things to evolve on earth to point that they could sustain life the first time around. He will not need millions and billions of years to create a new heaven and a new earth the second time around either. Now how is the earth destroyed? Second Peter 3 says this. Notice what Peter said talking about how the earth is destroyed. Knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? You hear that all the time, don't you? You believe in God? That word for scoffers or mockers means they're playing with you like they're playing with a little toy. And then what Peter says this, think about it. Peter points to one interesting fact of history. In verses 5 and 6, which is not up there, notice what he says. He says, God destroyed the earth with a flood the first time. And one scholar put it this way, God did interrupt the systems of natural law, and he did unleash the water stored under, around, and above the planet. He actually did literally drown mankind in judgment. The only ones who were saved were those in the ark, And what Peter's saying is this. Unbelievers will make fun of those who believe in the coming judgment of God, and they'll toy with people who believe such things, but Peter takes them back to history. And he says, you remember the flood? Then another scholar put it this way. God now warns to the apostle Peter, and he warns them this way. Just as I disrupted the systems of the planet I created so that the world was flooded, there's another judgment coming in fire. Notice, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, they're preserved by God's word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, which was testified and prophesied in the Old Testament over and over again. So think about this. I love how this this scholar put it. In the same way God allowed the canopy of water above to collapse and reserves of water beneath to erupt, drowning the earth's inhabitants, he has already built into planet earth the fire which he will simply allow to erupt. Now Peter says God's going to burn the place up in judgment. Fire is always a picture of judgment. And one geologist said the earth's crust is 25 miles thick. Underneath it is literally fire. Geologists have long known the earth's core some 1,800 miles beneath our feet is a dense, chemically-doped ball of iron, roughly the size of Mars, and every bit is alien. Temperatures reach about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, as hot as the surface of the sun. That's what you're walking on. Now think about this. He goes on to say, my friend, every hot springs is a warning. Every spouting geyser of steam is a sermon. And every volcanic eruption is a reminder that inside this old earth is a sea of fire. These tell us that God knew exactly what he was talking about when he promised Noah it would flood one day. And he, he knows what he's talking about when he promises that planet earth would disappear in a fiery explosion one day. Earth is a ticking time bomb. Mankind ignores the warnings warning signs of a planet given to earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions. Think about the fact that mankind walks on an outer crust of a planet on which he's working, building his home, conducting his business, taking vacations, making plans, while living on a boiling, seething planet which God was actually designed one day to literally explode and burn. (laughs) Now think about it. Peter says that this world, the heavens and the earth, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. And it's going to happen. Why? Because God is going to give us, as Paul talks about here, a new earth. What will be the character of this new earth? Notice what Isaiah promised in the millennial reign. Isaiah 65, 25. Notice about the animal kingdom. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. Isn't that amazing? They'll try to eat each other now. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. Why? Because God has changed the lion's nature. Lions don't eat straw now. And dust will be the serpent's food, and they will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. They're not going to be killing each other. You know what else he says? He says that the child will put his hand in the cobra's den. Then he says, and he'll set beside the viper's den and will not be harmed. So that tells us that there may be snakes in heaven. Do you know who's not touching a snake? I don't care if it's in heaven. I'm not ever touching a snake. My grandmother said this, the only good snake is a dead snake. So I'm not touching a snake. What about weather? You will not. Stephen Davies said this. Imagine that. Creation will return to God's earliest design, just like Eden. It will will be produced free from pestilence and danger. Animals will dwell with mankind without fear on either side. The beauty of God's creation is wonderful in part now, but in total then. And just think about weather now. Storms. You'll never have a storm. You'll never have a tsunami. You'll never have a tornado. You'll never have those things. Somebody said we had an earthquake this morning. I didn't feel it. All right, I have an earthquake every day. When I walk by my wife, I have a an earthquake. She just can't help herself. That's why she's sitting back there in the back. <laughs> Earthquakes. Listen, you will not have those things, okay? Because God is going to make an earth that is brand new, and it's going to be like Eden, where where David was. It was it's glorified. And what Paul tells us is this. He says this, that the earth right now is groaning and eagerly waits for that day. Okay. Then he says this, we're we're not only going to have a new earth, we're going to have new bodies. Notice what he says, the revealing of the sons of God. That word revealings means apocalypse. What it means is creation is longing for that future time when Christ returns to earth, when the glory of his bride is revealed to the universe. Creation is eagerly awaiting this revelation. MacArthur put it this way. The day we're glorified will be a day of great victory because on that day, the last enemy, death, will ultimately be destroyed. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The wages of sin is death. This wage will continue to be paid until death is finally destroyed. But in this glorified state, glorification is the final step in the application of redemption, it will happen when Christ returns, raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died, and reunites them with their souls, and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. Notice what 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one and 52 says. This is a promise. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. Paul says, you don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be, look at the word, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Faster than you can blink, your whole body's changing. That's a promise. He says you will change in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Whether you're dead or alive, you're going to be changed. Then Paul further explains this in 1 Thessalonians. I share this at every funeral I do. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Changed. Jesus said this in John 5, Do not marvel at this. He said, Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And I like how one scholar put it, he said, every person who has or will live on this earth will experience the resurrection. There will be a physical resurrection under the judgment or damnation, just as there will be a physical resurrection under life. When the body goes into the ground, that is not the last appearance of that person in visible form. Eternity is not just a place for spirits. It's a place for resurrected bodies containing spirits. And in this passage that our Lord makes the astounding claim that he is the one Who raises the dead Then judges them all. Remember, you are redeemed, your soul and spirit is redeemed, your body is not. Paul said this, flesh and blood that you have right now cannot enter the kingdom of God. It can't. It can't. Your your skin, your body is not redeemed. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. MacArthur put it this way, that inner man is ready for heaven now, it's just incarcerated in this fallen flesh so someday when these bodies finally die our spirit will be released to live forever and the flesh which so incapitates us from fulfilling all the law all the time will be exterminated as one commentator put it, the day of our death is far better than the day of our birth and what John MacArthur was saying is this, now he's 80 now I think he don't want to be 80 forever, he just don't he he don't want the aches and pains that he has now to be forever notice what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:35, "But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised, and what kind of bodies will they have? What kind will they have? Notice what Philippians 3 says. But our citizenship is in heaven. You could just say eternity, and from from it we wait, and from it we we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will notice the word, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body." By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what Paul is saying is your body is going to be changed. It's going to be transformed. Look at the word transformed. That's where you get the word schematic. A schematic is simply the internal design of something. And what Paul is saying here is that God is going to re-schematic us. He's going to totally transform us. It's a new scheme. It's refashioning, redesigning. We'll be given a whole new body adapted to live in an eternal, holy heaven, like his glorious body, Paul says. And if you look at Christ after his resurrection, he ate, he talked, he walked, he also appeared and disappeared. He flew through space from earth to heaven. Look at what Christ was like after the resurrection. He was recognizable, he was identifiable, yet he was transcendent. All that perfect, holy glory adapted to a new environment. But what will our bodies be like? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? And what kind of bodies will they have? And then Paul says this, what a foolish question. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it does not grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting, then God gives it the new body he wants to have. A different plant grows from each different kind of seed. And then in verse uh, 42, which to be on the screen, he said, it's, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. And then notice how he describes it. He says, what is sown, that's how he describes death, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Notice what he says. Your body now is perishable. Paul said, my outward man is dying every day. Paul had all kinds of physical ailments. He says, my body is perishable. The fact that our new bodies will be imperishable means that they will not grow wear out, grow old, or ever be subject to any kind of sickness or disease. They will be completely healthy and strong. Aging is part of the dying process. That's why he says we're perishable. But he says our new bodies will be imperishable the same way he described heaven. Think about that for a minute. No sickness, no disease. Our resurrection bodies will show the fulfillment of God's perfect wisdom in creating us as human beings who are the pinnacle of his creation. Think about that. And the appropriate bearers of his image and likeness. In these resurrection bodies we will clearly see humanity as God intended it to be. Notice what else he says. is It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. Your body is sown in dishonor right now. But it will be raised in glory. One scholar said, The most beautiful person you've ever seen is under the curse. A shadow of the beauty that once characterized humanity. If we saw Adam and Eve as they were in Eden, they would likely take our breath away. If they would have seen us as we are now, they likely would have been filled with shock and pity. God will decide what our perfect bodies look like, but we certainly shouldn't assume they'll look all alike different heights, weights, seem as likely as different skin colors, racial identities will continue according to Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, but they're also raised in power. Notice, he said they're buried in weakness, but it's raised in power. That word power says this, you will have strength. Think about weakness. Think about the things we struggle with now. Think about mental weakness. People can't help it. Mental health is such an important thing in America. Depression, discouragement, doubt. Anxiety, all these things that people deal with, you'll never have that in, in heaven. Think about, you'll laugh every day. You'll be happy every day. You'll feel good every day. How many days out of this year have you just felt good physically and mentally? Think about that. Every day you're going to have the, the ultimate strength and power. You're going to feel good every day. How many times have you woke up in the middle of the night or in the morning? And wonder what happened to your body because you have aches and pains that you didn't know how you got them. Y'all ever have those? You wake up and you look at your spouse and go, like, what did you do to me last night? Because I hurt here, 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 and here. Because you're getting older. You won't have glasses in heaven. You won't have them. You're going to be raised in power. And notice, this is, this is more important than all of them. It'll be raised a spiritual body. You know what that means? I looked this up, and I, and I was reading, and one guy said this. He said, the word spiritual never means non-physical but rather consistent with the character and activity of the Holy Spirit, you'll be completely obedient to the Holy Spirit, and you'll love being obedient to the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? You'll have unhindered worship. You know, even now, the best worship we can do is flawed. The best we can do. We know Jesus about this much. We know the Bible about that much. We know God about that much. But think about then raised a spiritual body where you'll know everything about Him the great love that God has for you. You, You'll know the deep truths of Scripture. You'll know all those things. Your your absolute spiritual body will, will fit you for unhindered worship for eternity. All your work will be worshiped. Everything you do, everything you eat, everything you drink, everything you do, everything you serve will be for the glory of God like God encourages us to do now, but we're flawed in that we can't do it. So I say this. As we're about to close. Better days are coming. Verse 18 of Romans 8 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed for us. Okay? I don't know what you're going through, but Paul says this, and I don't think Paul's making light of it because he's suffered for 20 to 30 years serving the Lord. He says what you're going through now, even if you caused it, and you're sorry for it, and you're trying to get over it, Ways like a feather compared to eternity. When you understand you're going to have a new heaven, you're going to have a new earth, you're going to have a new body, you're going to have unhindered worship to where you can't sin. You'll not want to sin. You'll be completely obedient to the Holy Spirit. So I tell you this better days are ahead. You have a new heaven, a new earth, new bodies, and then point number three is this you still have the same hope. So what does all this mean for us now? Does it mean anything? Does it mean anything to you now? Look at verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body, for we are saved in this hope. Do you have hope? Uh, about eight days ago, I was driving to Hickory. I got a call from Leroy Lackey. He said, Preacher, can you come see me? I said, Yeah, I'm in Hickory. I'll turn around and I'll come visit with you. Okay. And when Leroy called, I just knew that he really wanted to talk because he, he don't ask you to come visit a lot. So I, I went there, especially with COVID and everything. And I said, Leroy, how you doing? I said, look, he lost weight. And I think he said he lost like 40 pounds. He said, Matt, preacher, I've lost 40 some pounds. He said, doctor told me I had three months to live. All right. He's 87. I said, he says, I just need to get the assurance of my salvation. I said, Leroy, you remember about 10 years ago when you came to my office? And, and we talked about salvation, and you got the assurance of your salvation then? He said, I oh, do. I said, do you remember when you walked in front of the church and she told, to her church, told the whole church that you know for without a shadow of a doubt you're born again? He says, I remember that. I said, that took a lot of courage. You're 70-some years old, walking in front of 600 people and said, hey, I just want everybody to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And then you know what we talked about? We talked about death. Can you talk about death? You can if you have hope. And I said, it's like, it's like going from, through one room into another room. You leave one dilapidated room and you go into this splendor because Jesus is there. I said, now how does that make you feel? I said, I said, Leroy, the Bible says the righteous has hope in his death. The righteous. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And I said, Leroy, I don't know. You may have three months, you may have three years. I said, we both may have three minutes. And he says, you know what I do know? There's one God and one Savior and that's Jesus Christ. And I said, Amen. And then it was like five days later, Mark calls me and said, Leroy just passed away. Listen, there's a new heaven coming, new bodies, but do you have hope now? Does it make a difference to you now? Is what I'm sharing real or not? Is the Bible true? If it is, you of all people have hope. That's why Paul says to the church at Rome who was suffering greatly for their faith, we are saved in this hope we have hope. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you, like LeRoy Lackey did, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your only hope. Your only hope. There's no second savior. There's no tears. It's Jesus or nobody else. And if you ever placed all your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever means it doesn't matter your race what part of the planet you're on, what you've done in your past, even if you caused it, whosoever in faith calls upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation will be saved. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. Father, I thank you for the glorified state, the eternal state that we'll live in. But, Lord, we're living here now. We're living on this planet now. And Jesus, you told us, in this world, you'll have tribulation. It rains on the just and the unjust. And Lord, I don't know what anybody's going through in this church this morning. But Lord, I know that you're the answer for everything they're facing. And Father, I pray that, Lord, they would leave here with hope. Lord, not just for uh, an eternal state, but Father, for today, your grace is sufficient. You're a refuge and strength. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, once again, you're the answer for everything we face. So Father, we thank you and we praise you as best we can. And we want to tell you that we love you, Jesus, for loving us. And it's in Christ's name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen and amen.